Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 77. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. It is Thursday, August 29th. I am joined in the guide shack by a plethora of people. Um, We just sat through an overnight inch of rain and having a slow start to the morning we were talking about business and audio and podcasting and we said hey let's just go record one and then you'll see how it all actually works so uh, we've got a bunch of folks here who are on the fall 2019 wilderness bushcraft semester Um, we've got a full thermos of coffee a half thermos of tea and tang there's a dog running around on the floor and everybody's currently clothed is that accurate? No, not at all. <laughs> Almost. The dog's not clothed. <laughs> exactly. The dog is not clothed. <laughs> She's wearing a collar. I'm yeah. mostly clothed. Mostly Thanks. clothed. Thanks, John. Clothed and comfortable. It's our new reality show <laughs> where we sit around and drink yeah, coffee, drink coffee and... wearing clothes. Hats count, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're just going to kind of chat today about um, people's... First impressions with kind of living the woods life, and if uh, they could go back in time and tell themselves something about this experience, about the reality of being here and doing it, what would that be, if anything? And we also want to check in with kind of the fantasy versus the reality of outdoor living, right? Um, with the idea that you know, if if I'm uh, stuck in a city somewhere, if I'm on a bus, if I'm on a plane. My mind will wander to where, oh, I wish I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, But whenever I have those sort of daydreams, I'm usually not thinking about how bad the bugs will be when I'm there. Or, you know, how much time I have to spend every day getting firewood in order to cook water and coffee and and whatever else. So, um, yeah, something along those lines. So anybody want to uh, anybody want to start want to jump in with sort of a fantasy versus a reality thing and if i don't get an immediate volunteer i'm gonna start choosing people (laughs) (laughs) i'll go sure um do you want to you're welcome to introduce yourself or remain anonymous i'll leave Uh, that up to you how should i introduce myself name where Um, you're from favorite dance move (laughs) all right i'm nick laskowski i'm from massachusetts and the sprinkler (laughs) <laughs> that's an Dance excellent move. excellent choice good yeah. job um <laughs> i don't know so uh, i knew it was gonna be a lot of work and 
I think, like, that was the fantasy part of it, is I would get to enjoy the work, and I think I do, so that was probably the biggest thing for me. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the dog just jumped up onto a chair, of course. Wet dog. Inch of rain last night. Soaking wet dog. Now everything's going to stink like wet dog. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful thing to enjoy one's labor, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think the... Yeah, I think that's a, a really good insight. Anybody else? Fantasy versus reality? Yeah, I'm going to... Um, uh, my name's John Anderson. I'm from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I like the robot. And, excellent uh, choice. <laughs> another excellent choice. <laughs> Very basic. It's a good thing. Um, I think the fantasy for me was that I was going to get up here and just be able to totally relax and um, and have plenty of time to think and, and do. Um, but we do a lot here. So... Um, for me, the fantasy was was kind of kicked to the side, and and now I'm working and trying to stay on top of things, and so that surprised me um, quite a bit, and um, I think that uh, the fantasy of one inch um, compared to the one inch of rain that we got last night, I I would I don't know I think that's a fantasy man I think it's more like twelve inches because <laughs> my tent. I was wondering where you were going oh, with that. Yeah, do you want to <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you're so uh, unconvinced about well, the inch of rain? It's a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is my tent caved in because of the rain. And, uh, oh, I so, did not know that. Yeah, that, that part really sucks um, when you wake up with the caved-in tent. Uh, the second thing um, was when I was standing in the rain making coffee. I had my empty coffee cup sitting there, and uh, it filled up more than an inch while I was making coffee in about 15 minutes. Really? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we got more than an inch. <laughs> Interesting. But an inch in, inch in Louisiana of rain is not a big deal. Maybe it is a big deal in Maine because it was a lot of water. Yeah. So. And it's been pretty dry. This is the first real rain event we've had. I mean, we've had sprinkles and stuff, but, but you know, oh, geez, we need the rain. Jeez, oh, geez. we need the moisture. The and river's ri- running dry. There's no brookies anywhere. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting, yeah. The rain. You know, the rain in Maine is mainly on the plain. I don't know if you guys knew that. <sighs> someone that's else, insane. Someone else, please go. <laughs> yeah, hi. That's insane. Um, I'm Ashlyn Cornelius. I go by Ash. And one thing I was definitely not expecting was the sheer amount and volume of jokes. Oh. It does not end. The stories do not end. I might be considered straight-laced by some standards. And oh my gosh, it does not stop. Just like the rain, in John's estimation. Or, you know, it blows over all the time. Yeah, we that's, don't really stop at an inch of jokes. No, we call it the never-ending story. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hate it. Let's just put it that way. Oh, the gro- your groan speaks volumes. Thanks. <laughs> A verbal picture. A thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> she, she skipped the dance move. She didn't say anything. Oh, yeah, I'm not going on that. Oh, yeah, I'm from North Carolina. I don't know if I said that. No. I didn't. No. Yeah. Favorite dance move? I don't have one. Make man. one up. I love to see. Make one up. Dance. It's all about the trivia. I love to dance. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know the names of stuff. Let's just go with the nameless. The nameless, nameless dance move. The nameless dance move. 
I think that's actually called the Lombada. It's the I, Forbidden I, Dance. I knew, I, su- I knew you were going there. It's, it's the dance. You it. can't name it. It's the forbi- oh, Forbidden man. Dance from Brazil. Which, do you remember in the 80s, there was a movie called Lombada about the Forbidden Dance? Let's do Capoeira, though. Greatest movie ever that's made. Dance. Greatest movie? Well, I don't know. I just like movie about for- forbidden dances. How does one, how, how do you think a dance becomes forbidden? No, no. <laughs> all right, all right. Capoeira. Capoeira is a martial art, not it a is, dance. But they said it was a dance. Did they, they? Practice it. Huh. So there you go, the forbidden dance. I have a friend who's actually, he studied capoeira for 10 years or something. He's very adept at it. I thought that was a rodent in Australia. Oh, it's a capybara, <laughs> and it's in <laughs> South America. <laughs> so you're saying there's a rodent that is adept at martial arts? Yeah, Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Obviously. Those turtles have to be like 45 by now. When did that thing first come out? Middle-aged Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. (laughs) What's their age lifespan? Turtles? Like a thousand years. So are they still teenage? I don't know. This is is not... We're already (laughs) off the rails. Two and a half minutes in. Any... uh, Yeah, last last one. Can I can go? Yes, please. I'm Hannah. Um... From Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, my favorite dance move is the Hora, which is like a group dance in which everyone holds hands and you kind of do a grapevine in a circle and you go in and out and in and out. It's fun. Interesting. Um, and I think for me before I came here, like I, I spent I spent a decent amount of time in nature and crafting and it was a small segment of my life and so in that small segment of my life I kind of compartmentalized it as this place where I could find space and um, stillness and pleasure and I think in coming here when that becomes the the overarching sort of way of relating to reality um, you I guess I expected that that stillness and that emptiness um, would translate, um, but really I'm, I'm starting to realize that um, it doesn't have so much to do, the, the stillness doesn't have so much to do with the action itself, but your disposition in coming into that action. Um, and so I think I anticipated the, um, the recreational and the... Um, psychological and the relationship to self aspect to sort of just naturally flow into the rest of my time here whereas um, it maintains a practice and something that I need to remain conscious of even if I'm doing the same activities that um, do bring that to me in different circumstances if that makes sense it makes sense yeah mindset is everything yeah Mm -hmm. how you approach things is everything yeah but yeah the same event the same uh actions that take place depending on your mindset going in are going to determine everything about that experience and what it means to you is that yeah something yeah. like that yeah yeah i think that's a that's a super good and super valid point um yeah so what current events wise for you guys now are all certified by the state of maine to hold a trapping license to trap fur bearers we went as a group to a state-sponsored trapping class, and um, were you guys planning on uh, running away, living in the woods, living off a of beaver and muskrat anytime soon? Is that is that in the cards? I'm only going to trap lynx. 
<laughs> Exclusively. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but an interesting, I think that was an interesting thing because it, it, you know, the reality of life in the woods is that, you know, you, your food has to come from somewhere. Your economic stuff has to come from somewhere. And, you know, the people that I know personally that have lived in the forest or lived off of the land for years at a time, uh, you know, our Cree friends up north, um, I have a few other friends around Maine, and that's just a big, a big part of it, right? That it's not just, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of work that goes into living outdoors. It's not just sort of sitting with a journal and writing your thoughts down. There's also, you know, food to harvest and wood to chop and, you know, things of that nature. So I think that was a, yeah, I think it was, I think it added quite a bit to your guys' early experience of the course. Although, was it the first night of the course we had to go to that initial? Yes. Yeah, that was too much. That was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was the, the day we got here and then the next day. That's right. right. Okay. The first the official. First Monday, yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah, the timing could have been a little better. Yeah. But anyway. It was cool. an interesting experience for me. Because, um, I, I mean, I was vegetarian and vegan for like my whole life until about like a year ago and I was pretty much always the the guy who was instructing it kept uh, referencing the bunny huggers and I very well could have been one of those bunny huggers um and um I think it just it opened my eyes to um the relationship that a trapper or anyone that's you know hunting animals can have to the land and how that again like mindset is everything it can be an act of reverence and an act of relationship and an act of love um and also just like really beautiful beautiful things can come from it I, I think I personally was just really taken by holding the furs in my hands and being that close to um, a creature which spent its whole life sort of just like wandering in the woods in a way that I probably will never understand um and just to have that proximity to a creature like that was um, really beautiful, and I'd love to I'd love to carry on with learning more about different ways of relating to animals. Maybe, perhaps not trapping for me, but you know, other ways. Yeah, I think that trappers get a bad rap. That um, you know, on the purely practical end of things, if we eliminate apex predators from the landscape, then it's up. You know, then the system will no longer really self manage well. So then it's up to us to manage the wildlife populations and things. And that's kind of where we're at a lot with modern trapping. Um, but also I think that the trappers get a bad rap for being like kind of like a bloodthirsty, don't care about the welfare of the animals. And I think the reality is, you know, someone who's a trapper or a, a good trapper, you know, animal welfare and populations and uh, is at the forefront of their understanding and their relationship with the natural world. Yeah, the the guy who facilitated the course the first night, you know, we were all kind of joking. It was sort of long-winded and, um, you know, we were all sort of joking about how boring the first night was. But when he started talking about beaver, which is what she, what is, which is the animal that he traps exclusively, he sort of came alive. He knew so much about, um, about them in a really almost intimate way that I don't think, um, I didn't expect that out of him. But yeah, if you're, if you're working with an animal, a lot you definitely get an understanding of it that maybe you won't if you're just observing it 
I am of the belief we do mammal studies here during the semester course. And I always like to have people study the mammal and really know it. And there's different levels to that. You know, the first level, look it up in the field guide, learn some facts about it. Ultimately, we try to find the animal out on the landscape and then observe the animal as it's going about its day. So like, for example, with beavers, um, you know, I trap beaver. I think it's a great uh, meat to eat. Um, the fur is super useful, but I have a huge respect for beavers. So I've sat and, you know, spend a whole day just watching beavers. And when I was a younger guy, um, there was a beaver lodge in this uh, pond near our house in New Hampshire when I was living there. And I made a little ground blind so that they couldn't see me and I could move a little bit and they couldn't see me. And I just sat there on the ground and I remember watching the beaver come out and I, he could smell me. So he's swimming around and he's looking around because he knew I was there. Something was off, but he didn't, he never saw me. Eventually he slapped his tail, but then you keep watching him and, you know, I was right near their lodge and you could listen to him and I could hear the beavers talking to each other inside, you know, and you hear them and you watch them and they're super sweet to their babies and sweet to their kids. And you watch them. Sometimes you watch two beavers swim across a pond and they'll hold hands when they swim across. So, you know, all these things, all these awesome things about beavers. Right. So I think in the modern world, you know, we sort of have this Disney idea of what nature is, um, you know, where there's no trapping, where there's no harvesting. And, you know, I think in the, the real world, which is a place that I occasionally like to visit, it, it's got to have both. Right. I think having that intimate knowledge of the animal and really knowing and respecting that animal. Right. But at the same time, realizing that, yes, I have to eat. I have to do these things. So maybe I trap uh, the beaver as well. At, but at the same time, just have a huge reverence for them. Right. So. Uh, and I don't think that's a viewpoint that gets that gets put out there very much with trapping. So long-winded point is I like to have people, before we teach the traps that we'll make and uh, before we teach you how to catch it, kill it, cook it, and eat it, I think it's really good for people to really learn something useful about and, and observe the animal in the wild and, and learn cool things about it, right? We had a guy one year who had a new, he had just gotten some new rifle, and I wasn't aware of this. I think I was gone for the day, but and he went down and he was, going to shoot at one of the beavers swimming in the pond down there and it was out of season and it was you know it just wasn't a, it's not a great thing to do right and somebody said well what are you going to do with what are you going to do if you hit it and he said i don't know i just leave it in the pond i guess and so that it just a, a horrible use of wildlife and the resource and just demonstrating a complete lack of respect so I always think it's better for people to do that research, do observe the animals so that they develop that respect before, you know, hunting or trapping ever becomes part of the equation. Because if you start off and you put a firearm in somebody's hand and you're going to go shoot something before they have that respect, I think you're missing a big part of that relationship between predator and prey. I think that's the, the whole relationship. And what I got out of the trapping class was the the fact that um, when we go out and, and, and we deal with the animals, we do show a certain amount of respect and we want to use the whole animal and, and, and there's a, there's a purpose instead of just randomly going and killing something. Right. And what shocked me was when we went in and we looked at how many of the animals are killed when we build a parking lot or when we build a shopping center, I mean, the mall in Presque Isle, uh, at one point it was probably an impressive mall, but it's, it's dead. There's nothing there. And 
how many animals did we kill just to have a, a, a mall for a couple of years? Mm-hmm. And um, so when, if we can go out and hug a bunny, and I learned at the at the class that, that would be the Conibear One Ten probably, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it, but at least we. At least we're able to to turn around and use that animal for for a purpose, which is the, kind of the circle of life, you know. And, and just randomly killing something is not in that circle. No, no not at all. Remotely. I think there's. I mean, I don't want to get overly uh, touchy feely here, but I do think there is a long standing sacred relationship between predator and prey that many of our modern hunting practices violate. You know, like there's no. I mean. Uh, I call them rifle hunters or tackle fishermen, right? People who don't know anything about the animal or the ecology they're in. They just, they got a brand new, uh, you know, brand new uh, firearm and they're going to go use it and shoot at stuff, right? And that's a whole different animal than like knowing the life cycle of the animal that you're after, knowing how they interact, you know, what's their dominant sense, all the stuff that you guys are learning now. What's their dominant sense? How how long, uh, how big are the litters? How many litters do they have a year? So all those little bits of trivia and sort of facts about the animal that you guys are learning right it's just you know honoring that relationship i think and you know again not to get overly touchy-feely about it but i do think that there's something there like that that uh it's not just about having you know the the biggest gun or whatever it's it's about knowing and interacting with the with the wildlife on a really intimate level that's the goal I was really happy that we started with the trapping class before we got to the mammal studies because it put it in a context of this is useful almost. Like, I already knew that it's useful to understand more things about animals, but it gave me a framework to work under that, that I don't know if I would have had without the trapping mm-hmm. certification. Um, yeah. I was grateful we got into that, and I'm really happy that this class is making us choose animals that are in this area that we find tracks of, that we have that relationship with already by just living in the same area. I'm hoping to take it back with me to North Carolina and find out some more things about that. I have my hands in the plants, but I'm not really looking at all the animals around me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, doesn't sound like it. Yeah, yeah we're we're uh, it's still pretty gray. It just quit raining, so we're all sort of like that low pressure weather, little little slower than normal. Everybody here is a day and a half or two days into carving a canoe paddle with hand tools, so everybody just looks tired, broken, and beaten. Thanks. <laughs> Except the dog, who's asleep again. That's sort of sort of her whole game. I'd be curious to hear from you guys about, you know, Tim just mentioned we're working on the paddles, but I'd be curious to hear about other projects, um, which ones have stuck out to you guys so far, whether that's academic work or, um, you know, a specific handcraft that we did. Is there anything that's jumped out at people that sort of an aha moment, a light bulb went off? Well, the, the paddles for me is, have been tremendous. And uh, I was talking to my dad last night and you know, at first I thought if we messed up the paddle, we could go get another board, you know, but now we're 20 hours into this thing. Um, but I was telling him last night, you know, the, the process seems tedious and it's, it's long and it's, um, you get lost in it and which is kind of nice. I, I enjoy that part of it. But I think if I had to go back and start a paddle now, 
I could probably be where I'm at right now in about six hours. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, so just learning with the wood and dealing with the wood and learning how the tools work, um, I didn't I didn't like it at first, um, but now I see the value of the way we're doing it because, like I said, I think I could catch. I think I could take the 20 hours I've done it and do it in six hours and be right where I'm at right now yeah. if I screwed it up. But I'm also scared of screwing it up because I know I don't want to paddle down the, the river with a pole. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, philosophy of crafts, right? I think there's huge value in learning how to make stuff using very simple tools and no infrastructure. And then, you know, down the road, if you get in, paddle making becomes your thing. Yeah, by all means, get kitted out in a wood shop, band saws, big drum sanders, and then you can crank out a paddle in like an hour. But again, that idea of baselines, that if your baseline is you can make everything that you need with a few simple tools, some of which you'll make yourself, uh, might not be super fast or efficient, but, you know, uh, it's a long life. Uh, and that's that's a pretty good baseline to have. Whereas if we start with the kitted out wood shop and thousand dollar bandsaw and big drum sander, you know, then maybe you think you couldn't pull off making a paddle with just a couple of simple hand tools. So I think going the way that, that we're going, I mean, there, you know, it, we've thought about the process a lot. Um, and that doesn't mean that if, you know, you want to make multiple paddles in your life, you're always going to use simple hand tools. But I think the first one, it's always good to make, be able to make and have made certain crafts and stuff with very simple stuff. Because you know you could always go back to that, I think. Yeah. I think you like develop a relationship with the piece you're making too, like with how long it takes and everything. It's just like instead of just like pounding something out in an hour, it takes time and you put effort into it, and it's just yeah. Nice and it's your relationship with that paddle because we'll go and we're gonna paddle a whole bunch of miles with it later. Right. You know, at the end of that, you you are using the thing that you made to propel yourself across the landscape. And the experience that you'll have will just be different than if we ran down to the outfitter and got like a plastic T-handle paddle or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, that respect for the, for the process and the materials. And you see, you know, if you look back at woods-based cultures or, you know, traditional cultures living close to the land, that everything they had came from the land. So there's that sort of, you know, that kind of reverence you have for your stuff and that. Yeah. You know, it might not be pretty, but it's mine. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Approach. Yeah, I've I've seen people show up with you know paddles that they bought, and they're jamming them against rocks while we're paddling and using them to pry off of stuff. And it's mm. just, I you, I get I would be willing to bet none of you guys will do that because you'd spend so much time making these things that why would you want to do why would you want to use it for something that's not for and why wouldn't you want to treat it with a little bit of respect that's why we started making paddles it's because i got tired of buying them every year because they get all broke everybody's using it like a pole or i don't know what else uh so yeah so figure the only way these people are going to not want to jam their paddle into a rock is if they spend three days making it (laughs) (laughs) it's a good way to do it yeah anyway yeah anybody else yeah so I really am enjoying this weather watching. Mm. It's not something that I ever thought would be so straightforward in a way. Um, it's still a lot of variables to keep in mind, but it's something that makes me feel more in tune with where I'm at and just gives me a prediction for how I should go about the rest of the day or what I am expecting in the day. Nice. I'll look at the forecast and be like, yeah, this is a 50-50 chance. But then I look at the sky and I'm like, I feel pretty sure that this it's not going to rain in the next few hours or it's going to rain pretty soon. And it just 
makes me it grounds me pretty well to where i'm at nice even yeah. though i'm looking in the sky it's pretty grounding <laughs> i'm glad you made that joke because i was gonna and then i would have felt bad <laughs> your jokes are bad and you should feel bad i know i know <laughs> i do yeah i being conscious of the weather it just i like the word you said it's grounding i think that's a an interesting way to put it but yeah it's just it's kind of always there you're always aware of it whereas if you live in a big city maybe you don't care you know like if i wake up and i get in a car or get on a train and go in the subway and then work in a big building everything's climate controlled it's not part of my reality but living out here you know close to the land it's it's part of your everyday reality and i think that's a neat a neat thing to be aware of i always like to you guys have probably heard me tell the story that at the end of the end of the semester i'll go home and like you know do a big sigh and be like you know for the next week i'm not going to look at the sky once i don't care what it's going to do i'm not paying attention because it's such a it's such at the forefront of your awareness and consciousness when you're kind of living out or or life on the trail you know you're always aware of the weather i want it to control my life a bit more or have that more um say in what i'm doing in the day so i really didn't want to get out of bed this morning when it was raining yeah i just wanted to stay in pouring know. rain yeah there you go rain on like you a decided. tent fly or like a metal roof or a tarp the sound of it instantly puts me to sleep yeah. well that's good yeah <laughs> till it goes boosh <laughs> yeah and it collapses on you yeah <laughs> yeah well, I guess we'll wrap it up. We've got other stuff to go do today. Uh, so thank you for spending this time with us, all of you out there in podcast land. If you found this show useful, share it with somebody. Leave us a review. You know the drill. Uh, and we'll hit you back again here real soon. So hope you have a great day. We're definitely gonna. Bye-bye. <laughs>